0: Coming up on this episode of The Doctor's Pharmacy. We have the highest healthcare care bills on the planet and the worst outcomes of any industrial nation. We pay $4.3 trillion a year in health care. It's bankrupting us. Eighty percent of that is from chronic disease. And that's something that, you know, we have some control over. Hey,
1: everyone, it's Dr. Mark. To all the healthcare care practitioners out there, let me ask you a question. Would you like to make your life a little easier? I'm sure the answer is yes. As a functional medicine doctor, I know you can relate about how complicated and time-consuming ordering lab tests can be. Thankfully, with Rupa Health, you can easily order lab tests from more than 30 different lab companies such as Dutch, Great Plains, Genova, Access, Medical Laboratories, and many more, all from one convenient location. This is really a a much-needed option in functional medicine. Rupa Health has saved me a ton of time in ordering labs and helped me provide better service for my patients. Lab ordering is quick and painless with Rupa Health, and best of all, it's free for practitioners. So sign up for free today. You can find out more information by going to rupahealth.com. That's R-U-P-A health.com. As I've dug into the research on aging while writing my book, one thing has become super clear we need to take care of our mitochondria. These are our cellular energy factories. Now, as we age and we eat too much and we sit at our desks and are exposed to too many toxins, our mitochondria deteriorate and our bodies suffer. And that is why I'm happy to recommend MitoPure from Timeline Nutrition, a product that specifically regenerates mitochondria and supports cellular energy production. MitoPure clears away the damaged mitochondria from our cells and supports the growth of new healthy mitochondria. And as an added bonus, the latest research shows that healthy mitochondria improves immune function too. Now, I've been using MitoPure for almost a year now, and at 63, I feel stronger and more energized than ever. Right now, Timeline Nutrition is offering my community 10% off MitoPure, which you can get in a capsule powder or protein blend at TimelineNutrition.com forward slash Dr. Hyman. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N. That's T-I-M-E l i n e dot com slash dr hyman d r h y m a n and use the code dr hyman ten and now let's get back to this week's episode of the doctor's pharmacy. Welcome to the doctor's pharmacy. I'm Dr. Mark Hyman, and that's pharmacy. Then have a place for conversations that matter. And if you care about the state of our world, the state of our country, the state of our health, this conversation is going to be extremely important because it's with. One of the leading candidates for presidency in 2024, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who uh, could be doing a lot of other things right now, but has decided to take his time and energy and focus on highlighting issues in America that have been long neglected that don't get discussed, and that are now getting airtime, thank God. Uh, He announced his candidacy earlier this year, and he's carrying on his family's legacy of public service, devoting himself uh, to all sorts of things uh, that I've been personal front row seat to for many years as Bobby's friend and I want to just be transparent right now Bobby and I have known each other for oh gosh I don't even know maybe 15 years now and we travel over the world together we hang out a lot and I consider him one of my close friends and I've known him in all sorts of circumstances tough family situations uh in his public service as a leading environmental activist is 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 activist for the health of our children and many many other sectors and i know of no other person with more integrity with more intelligence and more commitment to making the world a better place uh so welcome bobby mark thank you finally for having me on your podcast this is a privilege i've been long (laughs) tonight (laughs) i know you've been on my podcast once before we talked about glyphosate remember in la years ago so um you know bobby and i've known each other for a long time we uh traveled but we've you know, we had a lot of fun together and we you know i've i've um i've seen your advocacy for your environment front up and center you know there was a big river in chile that was uh, um, going to be dammed and we we did an environmental trip down there and the Fulufu river almost died many times uh <laughs> and uh had really great experiences we traveled the machu picchu together we we went to the green river in utah to uh, protest the Tar Sands Mining and the Tavaputs Plateau up there. And, you know, we had a lot of personal time together. And I think most people don't know you as a human being. They know you as an anti-vaxxer or as a conspiracy theorist, which they've heard in the media, which is really far from the truth. And, And you are, you know, one of the most thoughtful Deep thinkers that I've ever met, and uh, constantly surprising me with your level of depth of scientific knowledge and your ability to kind of grasp really broad issues and and make sense of things, which are very hard to make sense of for so many people. So, I, I want to sort of sort of ask you, you know, how how is it that you've sort of taken uh, this step? Because you know, we talked years before about you entering politics, and you were a bit reticent about it, but now you've sort of taken a big step. and And what was it that kind of called you to this moment? Uh, you know, given the life you have when you have you know six beautiful kids, you have grandkids now, you have a beautiful wife, you could be enjoying your life and hanging out but But this is a big step. so why why did you choose to do this? You know, i have there was an evolution
0: that led up to it, and part of a lot of that the impetus behind that evolution, mark. Was uh, the censorship? So I was, as you know, I've been censored for 18 years since they, you know, they, they, since I published an article in Rolling Stone and Salon so in 2005, uh, and all of a sudden my opportunities to go on television—I had a deal with the New York Times at that point where I was publishing an op-ed every six months—and they shut that down. And then little by little. Uh, They stopped publishing anything that I wrote on any issue, environmental issues, and really since two thousand and ten, I've been almost uh, completely banned from the mainstream, from the legacy media, which is very, very dependent on on pharmaceutical advertising dollars, and so and then, but you know the the the, um, during the uh, early Trump administration, and and, you know at the beginning of COVID, actually. in 2016, or 20, no, 2019, um, uh, Adam Schiff at the beginning of 2019. So this is a year before COVID. Adam Schiff wrote a letter to the uh, in 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 March. Adam Schiff wrote a letter to uh, all of the social media sites, asking them to to uh, start censoring anybody who question vaccines. Um, three months earlier, the World Health Organization had declared without any scientific evidence that vaccine hesitancy was the uh, was one of the 10 greatest threats to public health. And, you know, there was no scientific study cited. Uh, this was more, you know, more dangerous than AIDS, more than, than cancer, et cetera. Malaria—it was up there with malaria and all these other, you know, genuine threats for which there is evidence. But it was kind of an arbitrary designation. And then that year, you had the, the um, measles epidemic, and they—we started getting censored. And then when COVID happened in uh, January, um, uh, the censorship became, you know, really as you saw. There were doctors, you know, like Peter McCulloch and Pierre Corey and all of these other doctors who were just trying to talk about alternative medications, about early treatments, who were being deplatformed systematically. Not only that, but their licenses were being attacked. And then in in January of 2021, we now know uh, President uh, Biden came in on January 21st. And on January 23rd, and this is all in Judge Doty's decision, recent decision, 155-page decision, which enjoined the White House from having any contact with social media sites. Uh, But the White House, two days after President Biden came in, um, had uh, contacted Facebook and Twitter and asked them to begin censoring me, to remove me from their platforms. Three weeks later, uh, Twitter or Instagram took me off, and that was my major site. I had over 800,000 followers on there, and they just took me off um, at the White House orders. And the White House was, we now know, was deploying all of these uh, three-letter agencies, including the FBI, the CIA, the um, uh, the Census Bureau. I don't know why, but, you know, the, NH- or the D- uh, DHS, the NIH, were all involved in identifying different people that needed to be censored, and they weren't just people who were talking about COVID. They were people who were talking about things that were, you know, critical. In one case, it was a parody um, of President Biden and and Jill and his wife. You know, that was an idiotic parody, but it would they didn't like it, and so they demanded that it be censored. So this has never happened in American history before where president of the United States is ordering and threatening private companies to uh, to remove information and a lot of that information was critical medical information the wall street journal did an article 2 weeks ago that said that um, that suggested that a lot of Americans had died because they were not because of that censorship because they were not given access uh, to information that they should have and in fact you know, our country, and this has never been explained, we only have 4.2% of the global population in the United States, we had 16% of the of the COVID deaths. And, um, you know, the public health agencies, whatever the reason for that, the public health agencies need to explain it. Is it because, is it a combination of things? Is it because we have the highest chronic disease rates of any country in the world, the highest chronic disease burden? Is it because they denied early treatment by ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine? Is it because of the lockdowns? It's something that the government did wrong. And we, you know, and and that the, the function of NIH should be to spend some of that $42 billion that is supposed to be allocated to researching public health threats it's critical that we understand what went wrong during this pandemic. And there's no effort to answer that question.
1: I think that's right. I mean, a- I think, Anyway, I think, that, uh, that was only half of my answer. Okay. <laughs> I just want to i wanted to add one thing to that point, because I think it's important, particularly for the audience here. And I'll, I'll let you finish in a minute. But you're right. We're 16% of the deaths and cases. And... 4% of the population in the world. And, and when you look at the data on that, it, I think it primarily is because of chronic disease. And uh, you know, a published study from Tufts showed that 63% of all hospitalizations in case of COVID could have been, deaths from COVID could have been prevented by better diet. And I asked Francis Collins about this in person. I said, why didn't you use this as a teachable moment for America to say, hey, you know, it's not your fault that you're in a toxic food system, but This is a chance for you to get yourself healthy, and here's how to do it. And he was like, well, we don't want to blame the victim. I said, well, this is not about blaming the victim. This is about calling out our destructive food system that, both from an agricultural and a food production system, is generating food that is 60% of our diet is processed food. That's what's making us inflamed and pre-inflamed. So when COVID hit us, we all got sick and died. So I think you're absolutely right about that.
0: Well, you know, there's a CDC study that nobody's ever contested. It showed that three that the average person who died from COVID in America had 3.8 chronic diseases, um, and you know potentially fatal ones in some cases, like diabetes or asthma. Um, but the you know it was clearly the chronic disease uh, that was killing them. You know it was very hard for a healthy person to die from COVID. Uh, the people who were di- it did happen you know there we don't know why but certain people i have a, friend, a very good friend of mine who was you know literally owns a health wellness company and he's in the best of health he almost died so covid could kill people that you know were healthy but it's very 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 rare and in fact there's been a series of studies in the us and in germany where they could not find one healthy child who died from covid you know that. They, every, everybody who died was, you know, either had very chronic obesity or some other chronic uh, illness. And so really, what, what if you look at what were Americans dying from, they were dying from chronic disease. And it was the COVID that maybe put them over the edge. But the thing that really killed them was a the chronic disease. We, we have an epidemic of that in this country that makes COVID look like a cakewalk.
1: Absolutely. I mean, every day, uh, you know, we lose probably 2,500 to 3,000 people from chronic disease is totally preventable. Yeah. Yeah. So get back to the inspiration on why, you why besides the censorship, that you, you're kind of now running for president. Uh, the
0: censorship kind of put me off because, you know, one of the things I, w- I was looking at, I, I said, well, if I if I run for president, it's much more difficult to censor me. Uh, but, you know, my wife and family, to put my wife and family through the nightmare of uh, of a presidential race uh, to make a point was something that I didn't want to do and nobody in my family would do. But then a uh, guy then, you know, the the Ukraine war started and I started having, you know, immediately from the beginning, I was looking at that war and um, and seeing how much of it was driven by these propaganda tropes that I had watched in Vietnam and Iraq and, you know, Syria and Libya, and, you know, again and again, the same thing to feed these forever wars. And I started seeing that, oh, you know, the Minsk Accords, that the Russians actually wanted to sign a peace treaty and we wouldn't let them. And then again, in April 2022, the Russians signed a peace treaty with Zelensky and started removing their troops. And we sent Boris Johnson over there to blow it up. And so, you know, I started looking at these and saying, and the Democratic Party and Republican Party were both full blast and into the, you know, into the war. And I, I um I just felt like I'm I'm losing my country, that this is uh, uh that the you know we're locked into this uh this military industrial complex, which Eisenhower warned us when my uncle died fighting, that my father died fighting the in, in military industrial complex. And here we are, and it's done all the things Eisenhower said, which is, you know, to it, 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 it turn us into a surveillance state at home, an imperial state abroad, and that somebody needed to be talking about that. And then uh, pollster uh, uh, Jeremy Zogby, who runs one of the biggest poll- polling houses in America, had been... Polling my name across the country, and this is at a time, Mark, when you know I probably had ten thousand articles written about me. Uh, you know, by that, that stage in the in COVID, and not one of them was a nice article. They were all, you know, what a monster I was, a conspiracy <laughs> theorist, and always, Charlie, and yeah. every name that you can apply to to somebody. So, uh, so I didn't expect that if I did a poll, that anybody was going to, you know, say I was a good guy. Zogby was putting my name on a bunch of polls. You know, when you do a, a poll for, for a client, you, you give that client about 40 questions. And then you ask each of the recipients those 40 questions. But most of the clients don't. They only want to know the answer to maybe 10 questions or 15. So when Zogby had extra questions on the poll, he would throw my name in. And he called me up and he or he sent me an email and he said i need to talk to you i need to show you something and he came to my home and he had all these polls that he'd done across the country and they showed you know me with this extraordinary strength that showed that i actually had a a, a pathway to win the election and the pathway was coming from support you know from all three parties independents republicans and democrats but very strong in each one and uh, at that point, I took those to Cheryl, and, and you know Cheryl, um, and she did not jump at the idea of me running, but, you know, I uh, we talked about it for <laughs> I can <imagine>. several
1: months, <laughs> I made all kinds of uh, promises and concessions, and finally... Uh, You're still married, so that's good. You're still married. You well, know, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have run without her support, so... I mean, it's incredible, Bobby. You know, I think it's interesting when you look at, you know, the the, the field out there, it's like Republicans hate you, Democrats hate you, but like also many Democrats and many Republicans love you. So it's it's actually very confusing to everybody because it's like where do you fit in a little box? And I think what's what's unique about your campaign is that you're talking about things that people don't want to talk about. I mean, I I I I mean even this chronic disease conversation we're having, I I I'm shocked. I've talked to presidential candidates, I've talked to people in, in, in Washington over and over, and nobody wants to talk about this issue. Nobody wants to talk about the food system, nobody talks about the environmental impact of our ag system, no one wants to talk about the, the burden of chronic disease and its impact on our economy and health disparities and the, you know, the impact of our food system on climate change. I mean, it's just like silence. And yet you're somebody who's talking about these issues. You're bringing them to light. You're talking about the divisions in society, trying to not make them worse, but make them better. And I think that's so refreshing, you know, and I think, you know, it was like when your father was running for president, it's like the, the country catalyzed around him because he was talking about something nobody was talking about. He was talking about the poor he was talking about social justice he was talking about things that really matter to people that they really care about and I think you know your your family has a leg a legacy of of doing things that i mean i I know so many members of your family and I would say to the people listening it, it's really remarkable how many members of your family are in work that is actively trying to make the world better, whether it's the kids going off to developing countries to help, whether it's your son going off to the Ukraine, not telling his dad and going to fight in the special forces without telling you, which probably freaked you out, I imagine, <laughs> you know, but it, you know, well, he, the, the didn't level, well, he didn't tell you, no. <laughs> I mean, but the level of moral courage to get up and say the things you're saying.
0: Yeah, I'm, uh, and you know, I had argued with him about the Ukraine. We argue every, every night at dinner about it. And he, you know, he made a very courageous decision, but when he he decided, he just uh we were sitting at the dinner table and um I said to him, Why don't you start work for your law firm? I was very excited he was gonna work for Bomb Headland, which is the law firm that did the Monsanto case for me in Los Angeles, the best best uh, law firm in Los Angeles. And he um he said, uh and he had a job with him. And he said, uh, I, I gave my notice, I'm not working there. And I said, What do you mean? <laughs> and he said, well, I have other plans. Another plan. And I said, Another plan? <laughs> oh, uh, Cheryl and I were a sitting there. And he Europe. said, Don't ask me. <laughs> and then we, I did have access to his credit card bills. And, and I, a few days later, I saw a credit card, a, a bill from Poland. And so that made me think. Okay. That's pretty close close to the Ukraine. And then he, uh, and then the next one I saw was from the Ukraine and then nothing for three months. Mm,
1: No, it must've been a scary moment, but I think it just speaks to the, you know, the, the commitment of your family to, to advocate for what's right in the world and the the, the campaign that you're launching. And I encourage everybody to go to kennedy24.com and look at, the platform that he has, look at the issues that Bobby's talking about from reconciliation. You know, I think, you know, in this country, I don't, I maybe you're a little older than me, but I don't remember a level of division. I mean, there was the 60s and the upheaval, but the level of division and enmity and hatred from one American to another. It's just so disheartening for me and i know and i and i interact with everybody from all walks of life from all political spectrums from all religious beliefs from all gender identities and it's just you know people are people first and i think we've we've forgotten that hey everyone it's dr mark here I always say that stress is the number one driver of chronic disease, and that's why we need tools that help us actively relax and manage all the unremitting stress we're exposed to. My friends at Apollo have created a new amazing wearable to help with this exact thing. A wearable taps into your body's natural rhythms to bring calm and restore your equilibrium. Utilizing a new touch therapy experience, Apollo Wearable was developed by neuroscientists and physicians for better sleep, more energy, relaxation, and focus. The way it works is by using vibrational touch therapy felt as soothing by vibrations to help restore balance to your nervous system. It's like a remote control over how you want to feel throughout the day. Tested by thousands in clinical trials and real-world studies, the Apollo is safe and non-invasive with promising results in focus and cognitive performance and cardiovascular metrics like heart rate variability and quality of sleep, including up to 30 minutes more high-quality sleep each night. I'm definitely going to use that. No matter how stress manifests in your life, the Apollo wearable helps you feel like your favorite version of you again. You can check out the Apollo wearable and save $40 by visiting apolloneuro.com. Forward slash Dr. Hyman. That's A P O L L O N E U R O dot com forward slash Dr. Hyman. That's Dr. Hyman. We're right in the middle of the hot summer months, and if you're like me, trying to stay cool in your bed can be a real challenge. I already run hot at night, so you can imagine how badly I sleep in August. Thankfully, I found an incredible solution, and I want to share it with you today: cozy earth sheets. Let me tell you, they're simply amazing. They feel like heaven to the touch, and their premium fabric regulates your body temperature no matter the season, making them perfect for the hot summer months. Cozy Earth offers a variety of luxury pillows, sheets, and blankets, and more, backed by a lengthy warranty. All their products are made from responsibly sourced viscose from bamboo, so you can feel good about your purchase, knowing you're supporting a truly ethical company. Right now, Cozy Earth is providing an exclusive offer for my listeners. You can get 40% off site-wide when you use the code Hyman. Just go to CozyEarth.com and use the code Hyman. That's just... D r h y m a n and now let's get back to this week's episode of the doctor's pharmacy. So you know one of the, one of the reasons, and I, and I and this is something you you I remember where I was standing actually it was on the dock in Hynesport when you said this to me years ago. I said you know one one of the problems with our democracy, and said one of the problems was the repeal of the fairness doctrine, and I, I'd like you to explain what that is. And and the reason I'm asking you is because that single act led to the uh, Propagation of information and media that no longer is about the truth; it's about polarization, and and that was a very disturbing moment in American history that I don't think people, most people, caught. Uh, in the movie Vice, there was a scene where I think Dick Cheney and uh, I think uh, Bush were talking, and it it actually was was under the Reagan administration when this happened. But it it, it was really a moment where we we've kind of lost our common American identity and lost our our common humanity together so i'd love you to sort of talk about this division in america and how you imagine healing that because you seem to see at the root of so much including the censorship including the lack of free speech including the cancel culture that we have it's like it's just amazing people can't talk about things anymore can't have debate can't have differences of opinion and 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 that's really what you're inviting is let's all talk together let's hang out and like get to know each other as human beings and find out what's true and and let's you know change our minds if if we we can learn from each other.
0: Yeah, so the Fairness Action was, uh, Congress passed it in 1928 at the dawn of commercial radio. And um, and let me just go back Ear- earlier, you know, in our, our history, um, there, there was a dispute and you know, at, at the time of the constitutional ratification between ha- Hamilton um, and Adams, Hamilton and Madison on one hand, or no, Jefferson and Madison on one hand, Hamilton and Adams on the other, um, where Jefferson uh, wanted a universal franchise, meaning every white man could vote. Okay, that's what universal meant at that time. And uh, <laughs> Hamilton wanted to restrict it to, to just uh, land, people who were landowners. And the reason for that was that those were the, really the only educated classes. And he believed that in a, a democracy uh, that could be stolen by a demagogue who could seduce uneducated voters and, you know, with promises with a chicken in every pot or, you know, unrealistic promises that they wouldn't be able to see through and that you needed an educated class. And Jefferson did not dispute that he believed that was true too. But he said the remedy for that is not to deprive people of their franchise, uh, but rather to uh, educate them and forcibly educate them if they refuse to be educated. So that's why we, you know, we had for the first time in this country, Massachusetts and other states had uh, mandatory public schools. You had children that had to go to school. As it was regarded as critical for our democracy that you have an educated populace and you know jefferson created all of these educational institutions in virginia in fact his grave you know it says you know along with our author of the declaration of independence as founder of the university of virginia and they started these um land colleges you know the state land colleges everywhere in this country and it was all about that, that you need to educate the public so then When radio was invented, Congress recognized, very aware of this history, that that this new media, which could suddenly magically talk to every American so that, you know, all these newspapers that they were reading um, would become irrelevant because you had these, you know, the one voice that could talk. Congress passed a law to make sure there was a diversity of voices. And, you know, ultimately the Fairness Doctrine said, you couldn't you could only own a limited number of radio stations because they didn't want one corporate conglomerate to be able to control the narrative. You could only own certain ones in certain jurisdictions. You couldn't own a newspaper and a radio station in the same jurisdiction. They wanted to make sure that there was a diversity of voices in our democracy saying all the different you know stories and serving different constituencies, and they also said for the public airwaves because it was recognized that the public owned the airwaves and that the broadcasters could be licensed to use them, but they, the license from FCC would be that they could only use them to serve the public interest. And what that meant is, yes, they could make money by selling entertainment to you on the radio, uh, but they had to tell the news that was important and you know, for, for forming government policies at least for a certain amount of minutes or hours per day and particularly when the television came along they had to do it at a time when most families would be home that's why we had the six o'clock news hour because they thought all americans are going to be home um, the the news divisions had to be independent they had to be telling truth they could not tell a lie they and they if they told one side of the story if there were two sides you had to let the other people tell their side of the story I uh, was the fairness doctrine and that and that's why during that period the news divisions were basically semi-autonomous and they were all money losers um because the the network put the money in them because that's the only way they could hold on to their license and then in 1986 Reagan who came to power with the support of the big studio heads who wanted to consolidate all of these uh these radio and, and television stations and with the support of the Christian right, which was then, you know, developing their own television networks. And they didn't want to give equal time to Satan, you know, which is understandable. But basically, <laughs> they were like, we're, we're um, So, so uh, Reagan abolished the Fairness Doctrine. He, you know, he, he did it through FCC policy. And um, and then you saw this huge consolidation so that today, I think. Uh, there's five countries, that, five companies, maybe now only four that control all the, re- virtually all the radio stations, all the television stations in our country, uh, all, almost all the newspapers, um, almost all the billboards and most of the large internet content providers. So you have this huge consolidation where there's five guys who are now telling American what's news and, um, and there's no obligation anymore that they have to tell the truth. And so in the old days, you had Walter Gronkite, who everybody believed, and John Chancellor and David Brinkley and, you know, Chet Huntley, who were the mo- had the most integrity of any people in our country. More people believed them, as they were independent. They didn't lie. They were supposed to tell, you know, they, their job was to tell the truth to the American public. And now that's not true. Now you have people who are. Whose job is to promote, you know, uh, ideologies and uh, and be uh, corporate propagandists for the for the advertisers and um, the after the fairness doctrine, the news bureaus became corporate profit centers. Oh, so the you know the the they had the bean counters at NBC. We're now telling NBC News division, you got to show a profit. Well, how do you show a profit if you're a news division? You know, not by having uh, reporters in every country in the world and reporters in every you know every agency of government. There used to be reporters when I was a kid. There'd be a reporter at EPA from NBC. There'd be a reporter full time at the Commerce Department, at the Transportation Department. And they'd be digging through papers all day, uncovering scandals and revealing them to the public. That's all gone. Those, yeah. uh, no investigative journalism No, and they, and they show a profit uh, by, not by telling us news that may be difficult uh, to explain or hear, but rather by, um, you know, by entertaining us. So they're, you know, they tell us uh, lurid stories or they, uh, you know, they do things that are, you know, Hollywood entertainment, uh, you know, uh, but it's not the news that is really important for Americans to understand. And then they do a lot of Artisan propaganda and corporate propaganda and it's uh it's very very damaging to our democracy as our founders predicted
1: yeah i think you're right bobby and i i think you know if you, anybody turns on fox and CNN at the same time you're like what world am i living in you know you can read you know the exact same thing if, about the you know same event and it can be completely a different narrative and so it's very confusing for someone who's not in it who isn't knowing the facts to actually come up with a coherent opinion about it. And and it's unfortunate, it just creates more polarization, more division and and lack of nuance. And I think, you know, we've dumbed down so much for Americans and have not, and not given them the credit to actually be able to understand nuance and detail. And that's, you know, one of the things you do very well is, you, you know, people say, Oh, you're an anti-vaxxer. It's like, that just makes me crazy because I could be called an anti-vaxxer too, but I'm not, I've been vaccinated and my kids have been vaccinated. Your kids are vaccinated. You're not anti-vaxxer. You know, we, we helped, uh, you know, we helped work on a book with you called about thimerosal and it's really about, you know, what of the science, what does the science say? Having a conversation about things that are difficult does not mean you're anti or pro. It just means you're asking the question, what does the science say? What are the facts? How do we uncover them? How do we have an intelligent, coherent, logical debate about what's true rather than this immediate dismissal or canceling somebody as soon as they say something you think might might be against your ideology or views? So how do we as a country get back to a place where we are all kind of kind of reading from the same playbook or the same facts and Heal the divide. I mean one of the 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 links on your website is really about healing divide as you as a major part of your platform Not it's not vilifying the other. It's about bringing people together.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I you know I'll say something about being anti-fax. I as you know uh, I've never been anti-fax. Uh, you know, I, I I began every speech during that period by saying i you know, all my kids are vaccinated. I'm fully vaccinated. I, I was getting a flu shot every year. I mean, I, you know, I was not. I was the least anti-vax person. I just wanted good science, and I wanted to get the mercury out of the vaccine and the aluminum. And as I pointed out then, I'd been trying to get mercury out of fish for thirty-five years, and nobody called me anti-fish. You know, they they were calling me anti-vax because it's a way of. <laughs> <laughs> of marginalizing me and making me look like a crazy person. And that's what they do they're doing now. I mean, I'm I'm uh you know I'm threatening all of these these profit centers, the military industrial complex, the pharmaceutical companies, the DNC. And so you see this, you know, this orchestration of the propaganda against me, which tries to discredit me, you know, in a whole variety of, of you know of weird charges that I you know, that I'm a conspiracy theorist or everything that you can imagine, you know, the worst possible stuff that's said about me. And virtually none of it is true. And, um, and, you know, my position on vaccines, if Americans, you know, people ask me all the time, how are you going to, how are you going to persuade Democrats to vote for you, you know, because of your anti-vaccine? And I'm, I, what I say is, if Democrats knew my position on vaccines, virtually all of them would would say that I want to do the same thing. All I want is of course good of course. science, the same scientific safety studies that are that are endured by every other medical product and, and medicine prior to licensure, which vaccines are exempt from, and also that people have a choice. And you know, if you you know that you it's between you and your doctor if you're you know if your a child or if you want to get vaccinated it's a medicine where you know the government should not be ordering us to take it there's risk for every medicine and people need to make those i believe in freedom and you know i think most people agree with me and those who don't that's fine let's talk about it and let's engage in it not let's not call each other names and you know and try to cancel each other and 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 shut each other
1: up i think that's right bobby i think you know one of the challenges around vaccines is that you know, there was a moment in history where, you know, there were very few vaccines and most people got those vaccinations and we did all right. And then all of a sudden this, the number of vaccines started increasing and there was a reason for that, which is that the government indemnified vaccine makers against any harm. In other words, they wouldn't get sued and the government would take that liability and they paid out billions and billions of dollars in vaccine court to kind of deal with vaccine injury. And none of that really gets talked about. And so, you know, when you look at, I remember when I was a uh, recertifying you know, my board certification, I went had to go to a review course and there was a pediatrician got up and said, you know, here's the current vaccine schedule. And it's like, you know, incredibly long because I have to share this with you. But I just got to say, like, I don't know about this because, you know, we don't really have evidence-based medicine. When you look at the evidence, you should say, okay, well, when we went from like eight vaccines to like 20, 72 shots, for example, where's the evidence of comparing all those shots in one kid or a group of kids? Over time to a group that didn 't get them, we don't have those studies we don 't know, and so we really aren't practicing evidence based medicine and we're we're not really asking good questions and and furthermore i don't think there's any interest in studying it it's like there's there's just this lack of interest in actually looking at the data because it's it could potentially is not not what we want to see and so that's not to say that vaccines aren't good or haven't been great for humanity or haven't saved many lives but I think you know, like any other medicine, they're a pharmaceutical intervention that has risks and has benefits. And let's not just ignore the risks. And I think that's what happened with COVID. We're like, vaccines are safe. These work. They're effective. Well, they kind of worked, and they were kind of safe. You know, <laughs> like they weren't like in the panacea we all thought. And nobody really talked about the difference between disease immunity and uh And, and, uh, actual sterile immunity, which is kind of a nuanced medical conversation. You know, it's a difference between like, actually like the flu vaccine, which you get and you may or may not get the flu, but you could get the flu versus for example, when you get measles vaccine, you're not going to get measles in your lifetime. So I I think that, that people just don't, um you know have the facts they don't have the information they're not it's not shared about in a coherent way by people who understand this and it's it's like well let's not confuse people Let's not like say don't eat junk and sugar because it might make people feel bad or let's not talk about the issues because they don't they don't give people the credit for having the intelligence to decipher nuance and i think that's what you do and if people really are interested in what bobby has to say i'd encourage you to read his books to look at the data to read the things you know when we did the book on thimerosal there were over 900 references and you and i went to washington we went to the department of health and human services we went with every agency lead on vaccines the nih the cdc the fda uh, hhs i mean everybody and we and like not one of them could say gee you know if i had a kid or a grandkid right now would i want to knowingly put a vaccine with mercury in them even because we know mercury is an, is a neurotoxin even if we're not 100 percent sure it's bad there's enough evidence to say that mercury is one of the most toxic compounds on the planet like why would you want to put that in your kid and they would go well we don't want to but we don't really have an alternative where they were kind of <laughs> weaseling around about it it was like it was a so one of the most embarrassing moments from my perspective as an american citizen to see our the leaders of our government agencies not actually taking a stand for what seems to be the most obvious thing which is let's get mercury out of vaccines not that vaccines are bad but this this is a poison why are we putting them in there you know uh, and, then, and then and then i remember let remember, me point out, Mark, remember that meeting bobby remember that when we were there I,
0: of course it was I remember that meeting <laughs> but, and let me just clarify this so that listeners. Mercury was removed from um, most of the childhood vaccines in 2003, um, but it was uh, it continued to be and it continues to be in the flu shots and um, in in multi-dose flu shots. Most of those are sent to poor neighborhoods, to um, you know, to urban and rural clinics and in uh, poor neighborhoods, and they, it's it's horribly dangerous. It's given. It's recommended. For women in every trimester of pregnancy, and for children in every year of life. So anybody who tells you that all of the mercury was removed from flu shot from childhood vaccines is not telling you the truth. Uh, the mercury is is still in the flu shots, and we need to get it out. And um, and we need to do real science of the flu shots and the Cochrane collaboration, which is the most prestigious a group of independent scientists, which oversees overlooks. Uh, pharmaceutical finance science that repeatedly said that flu shots are, uh, are a waste of money and that um, you know that they, there's no benefits in mortality uh, from the flu shot. So, you know, um, and that in many cases, you're more likely to get non-flu infections if you take that shot than if you didn't. So it's not, a, you know, we should be doing real cost-benefit analysis and real science. We should be doing evidence-based medicine. And And by the way, The Institute of Medicine, which is part of the National Academy of Sciences, has a list of about 170 diseases and injuries that it suspects are caused by vaccines. And every four or five years, it tells the CDC, you need to study these. And CDC simply refuses to do those studies. That's not... Robert Kennedy talking, that is the Institute of Medicine, the highest arbiter of vaccine science in the land. And, uh, and you know, that just needs to be done. We need real science.
1: Well, part of the problem, Bobby, is something you talk about a lot, which is the concept of corporate capture. And once I heard in a lecture you say something called corporate kleptocracy, which I'd never heard before, <laughs> it's basically the stealing of our government by corporations. And I think people are aware that this goes on, but at the level that it goes on, it's just sort of staggering. And, you know, I, I, um, I'd love to talk about how do we how do we sort of gain that back, and it's not just the government; it's the media too. And I, I just to to kind of go back to what we were chatting before. You know, over fifty five percent of ads on TV are for pharma, and and the, probably a lot of the rest are for bad food. And uh, you know, when you look at the news, age, the news um, shows a lot of advertising is drug advertising, and so you know, it's very hard to get truth about lifestyle or diet or things that really work or that matter what i do functional medicine on the news and i found this myself i've not been censored the way you have but i i definitely noticed it's really hard to talk about these issues nobody really wants to i went on tucker carlson uh, and uh and he let me kind of rant about it but uh he got he got canned i don't know if that was why but hopefully not but i think i think we we basically have to have a way for the media to be more independent we have to have a way for government to be more independent so how as president would you address these big issues because i think they're they're what's What's really driving a lot of a lot of the problem with with our country today?
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the first things that I'm going to do is to make good health a priority for Americans. You know, the way my uncle said with that national the president's council on on physical fitness, I you know I'm going to make that a priority for Americans and say, you know, my uncle said, ask not what you can your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Well, here's something that you can do for your country. Do some exercise, lose some weight, <laughs> get yourself in shape, build your immune system. Why? Because we have the highest healthcare bills on the planet and the worst outcomes of any industrial nation. We pay $4.3 trillion a year in healthcare. It's bankrupting us. Eighty percent of that is from chronic disease. And that's something that, you know, we have some control over. That chronic disease, most of it. Is coming from bad food and toxics in our environment, and, and we and and uh, and you know and bad health habits that are contributing to it. And um and we need to change that as Americans. We need to take control of our own health and and not hand it over to the pharmaceutical companies and the pharmaceutical paradigm. I'm gonna so I'm gonna just make that a priority for Americans, and I'm gonna you know start physical fitness programs in every community in our country. Um, and I'm going to, you know, create incentive systems for people to actually lose weight and to take care of themselves, and, and reward them for that. Um, and then I'm going to do concrete things like get the pharmaceutical advertising off television, uh, which is yes, the only God. there's only two countries there's only two countries in the world that allow that atrocity to happen of direct consumer advertising. And it's us in New Zealand, and that's one of the reasons why we use three to four times as many pharmaceutical drugs as any as any of the European countries, uh, we, and we have the worst health results, and we pay the highest prices for pharmaceuticals. And the number one cause in death in our country, number three cause in death in our country is pharmaceutical drugs after heart attacks and cancers, according to the Cochrane Collaboration. So...
1: Uh, and by the way, Bobby, I just want to say something about that point. That, that, that point is really important because, because uh, people don't realize that they not just side effects or harmful things that are from drugs that are taken improperly. You know, I think recently uh, the, the data may have changed, but years ago, there was a paper in JAMA that showed that the, I think, a third or fourth leading cause of death was drugs prescribed by doctors for the right dose in for the right patient in the right way, not mistakes. So it's important to realize that. That's pretty frightening data.
0: And and a lot of that may be drug interactions, too, because when you prescribe a drug for a patient, that patient, you know, I heard the other day, I don't know if this is true or not. So, you know, don't quote me on it, but people over 65 or something are on an average of like 11 or 12 different pharmaceutical drugs. I mean, it's it's insane. And I don't know if it's that many, but it's it's definitely going to be four or five. And nobody knows. 81 percent
1: takes one or more. 81%
0: Eighty-one percent takes work.
1: one or more a day.
0: So is that that I, anyway? I'm not going to ask you about that number, but somebody uh, told me that number the other day. I didn't check it, so I'm not going to vouch for it. Uh, but uh, you know, and then well, then we need to decouple the uh, the the, the, regular, the health regulatory agencies from you know these financial entanglements that they have with the uh, with the uh, pharmaceutical industry. It should not be. that the drug division at FDA is getting seventy percent of its financing from pharma. The forty-five they, percent of the entire budget of FDA comes from pharmaceutical companies, and that, so that's their boss. That's who they're reporting to. That's how they're, you get incentives by doing good things for pharmaceutical companies, and you know and. So, and at the agency now, those mercantile ambitions, of the pharmaceutical companies have entirely overwhelmed and subsumed uh, the regulatory function of that agency. The same is true of CDC. CDC, about 45 percent of CDC's budget goes to buying and then distributing vaccines and these sweetheart deals with uh, pharmaceutical companies. In The way that you get job promotion, salary increases, you know, recognition. Etc. At those agency at that agency is by making uh, by increasing vaccine uptake. And that shouldn't be your job. Your job should be uh, increasing public health. You know, that should be the only metric you're worried about. But they don't. That's not their metric. Their metric is get as many people to take as many of these as possible. And that's how I'm going to get my salary raised. So you, your job is to look for problems with that product. And if that and. And yet you're disincentivized from doing that. And then NIH is probably the worst. I think there's 1,200 scientists from NIH who are now collecting royalties from pharmaceutical companies, including Anthony Fauci. And so if you work at NIH and you work, you know, NIH is now the biggest incubator for new pharmaceutical drugs. If you have the good fortune to work on one of the drugs that hits the jackpot, you now have margin rights for the bat, and you can get $150,000 a year for life. So the, the scientists who are supposed to be protecting public health are collecting royalties from a pharmaceutical company that's paying for their house, their boat, their children's education, a retirement accounts and uh, they have very, very little incentive to look for problems with that drug, which is their job and so we need to get rid of those we need to get rid of the revolving doors um, I know you know, how to do this because I've been studying these agencies I have a PhD in how to unravel corporate capture in the pharmaceutical industry and, uh, and at those regulatory agencies and I'm going to take a lot of pleasure in doing that and when I get in there and you know People know that I'm going to do that, and that's why you hear these, you know, slanders about me every day in the press. Why the press universally, the legacy media is now, you know, uh, is coming at me with such a vengeance um, on issues that if you go parse them and, and read, you know, what what did Kennedy say? That's a conspiracy here, or that's anti-Semitism, or whatever. You actually look at my statement, and you'll go, you know, there's nothing here but they need to say that they need to put it every day in the headlines because they know I mean these are companies that are making billions and billions of dollars in taking pharmaceutical advertising and I'm going to cut off that flow for them so uh they have a big incentive to you know to make sure I never get into that
1: white house yeah i mean you mentioned chronic diseases being an issue and i think you know pharma's profiting wildly from that and you know i would i would argue that covid and in- deaths were really a foodborne illness i think it's caused by the food we're eating because it creates such a level of poor health obesity and chronic disease and i think you know in the government there are good people i i recently talked to some folks in hhs who are helping with the dietary guidelines and they're like it was shocking to me they said we can't get a million dollars we can't get a penny there's no allocation statutory or any other way for supporting the process of developing dietary guidelines for Americans, which basically reviews the science and tells Americans what they should be eating. And, and I'm like, what you he's, yeah, we have to go around to the other departments in HSS and out with a tin cup and beg for money to do our work. Mm -hmm. I'm like, to review the science, do all this work. Mm -hmm. Yes. I said, he was complaining. We couldn't, we couldn't, we can get $113 billion to support the war in Ukraine, but we can't get a million dollars to support the dietary guidelines process. And he's asking me for help. And I'm like, Holy cow! It's such a corrupt system that the things that we should be focusing on are getting completely ignored. And uh, you know, when I, when uh, as part of my food fix campaign, a nonprofit, we got the Government Accountability Office, the GO, to do a review of government policies and chronic disease and its health and economic impact. And it was shocking. There were over 200 policies and 21 agencies, most working across purposes that we're undermining the health of Americans and costing us billions and trillions of dollars. Like, for example, we say, we'd eat less sugar in the dietary guidelines, but we spend $10 billion as part of food stamps for the poor with SNAP or, you know, with, and we spend 75% of that, um, of the, Food stamp bill which is 100 billion dollars a year on junk food so they don't want us to look at it they don't want us to examine it they don't want to change it how do we, how do we start to deal with these things because you know you know the the, the the congress is also captured it's not just you know the you know the white house or the agencies. so how do, how do you sort of begin to deal with with the reality of this in a practical way yeah
0: i mean but are you saying that in the snap program that, that uh that that a significant m- amount of money from food stamps is going to processed
1: foods. Yeah, ten, it's a hundred billion a year. Ten billion goes to soda, which is over thirty billion servings for the poor, and and seventy-five billion goes for junk food, Proce- ultra-processed food. And sixty percent of our American diet is ultra-processed food, and that's what's killing us. For every ten percent of your diet that's ultra-processed food, your risk of death goes up by fourteen percent. The data is clear: obesity and 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 globally deaths. The number one cause of death now is not smoking or war or violence. It's actually food, (laughs) and and it's not talked about. It's not something that the government's even addressing. And I'm just one little guy with you know no you know corporate relationships trying to advocate for this.
0: Of the ten of the ten billion, is it thirty percent plus the ten for soda?
1: Or no, it, it's, it's, 75 it's 75% overall, and of that, 10% is for 75% soda.
0: what? Goes to processed food? Of the food, food
1: stamp bill, yes. Goes to ultra-processed food and junk food, yeah. 75%? 75%?
0: Yeah. All right. You know, that's worth running for president just to change that.
1: Oh, yeah, uh, it is. Know. But there's so many challenges with that. It's like... Yeah, the I hunger know. groups I are mean, fighting you, any
0: changes no, now. I've been fighting that industry for thirty years. You know all of those processed food industry, but you know, but, I mean, one of the things, one of the great things that 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 came out of COVID is that you know um, you you you, the, the, you can make we we now have this example of the White House making these huge huge policies, um, these dramatic policies for public health that, you know, that locked down an entire society, shut down industries, disrupted the whole economy to, you know, to, uh, to protect human life. So, you know, that's a uh, that's a precedent I'm going to remind people of when it's time to get rid of processed foods.
1: Bobby, you know, I've, I've known you for a long time, and, uh, you know, one of the things you do is take care of your health. I've I've had to help you a little bit. Get rid of the sugar, <laughs> but you did that many years ago, and uh, you know you're incredibly fit. You're incredibly healthy. You're 69 years old, but you have the body of a 30 year old. Uh, and and how how do you keep healthy? What's your what's your what's your routine? Well, you are my role model, Mark. I, honestly, <laughs> uh, I um
0: you know I I try to uh, to not eat sugar. I do my best. I'm not like, a, you know, a, a purist about it, but I'm pretty good. Um, I um, I do uh, and I uh, I do uh, intermittent fasting, so I don't I don't eat before noon usually. And then I try to stop eating by seven. And that really helped me, you know, with my weight and with, you know, making sure you know, that I, that I uh, keep off kind of, you know, it, it's good. And I, I, my understanding is, it really reduces inflammation. But it did; it changed my health dramatically um, when I started doing that. So I, you know, I don't, I do so many things because I take all these vitamins and stuff. I take, you know, a a handful, fistful of vitamins every day. I don't. I'm not very good about it. I'm not somebody people should take recommendations from. What I do. (laughs) But you, you hike every day. You go to the the gym. You work. You. I, I go to the gym every day. I go for a short period because that's sustainable. But I do intense weights for like 35 minutes, and I have four different uh, routines. Uh, I just alternate, and I do uh, seven days a week. Uh, I do one of those routines. You know, I do uh, you know, I do pull exercise one day, chest one day, back another day, legs, and then miscellaneous. And then I do a three-hour hike or a three-mile hike uphill, which is which I also do meditations. Which I think that spiritual connection is absolutely critical to health. I think uh, for me it is. And then um, you know my vitamins and and, uh, and supplements and stuff. I take a ton of that stuff, and I'm really I I'm really bad about it. Like I said, nobody should listen to me because what I do <laughs> is I listen to one what <laughs> I listen to one of these podcasts where the guy says, if you take turmeric, your entire life will change. And I believe him. And I start taking. Tumeric. And then another guy will say, you know, take knack, and that's the only thing you gotta take. And then I spad add NAC to that and vitamin D. And now I take a handful of these things. I have no Wait, idea. Bobby, we can do
1: you. another blood test. I'll help I'll help you. <laughs> I do know that I never get sick. So something's working. Well, Bobby, yeah. If you want my help, I'll, I'll help you sort through it. <laughs> You're doing great, Bobby. Well, thank you so much for uh your your uh your personal health habits. I think we can all learn from that. It's just consistency and, and sticking to it. And you know, I, I think just want to close by encouraging people. To to take a deep look at Bobby's campaign. You know, I'm not um, advocating for any particular candidate, but I think that you, you really need to take seriously what Bobby's saying. It, it uncovers a lot of the issues at the root of uh, our division in America, at the root of our economic issues, at the root of our global um, standing, which is declining in the world, at the root of so much of the, uh, the disparities we see in health. And I, I think it's, a, it's an important campaign because it's bringing to light issues that we're not hearing anywhere else. And, you know, I think before the podcast era, you would have been shut out. And I think now with the of podcast and an alternative source of information, people can start to make decisions on their own about what, what they care about and what matters. So, uh, Bobby, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Any last thoughts or words you have for us?
0: No, but thank you so much, Mark, and thanks for, you know, your persistent battle to, to uh, you know, to get people to look at these issues of, of, you know, you told me years ago something that I never forget, which is food is medicine, you know, and I, uh, that, that has been so true for me, so thank you.
1: Of course, Bobby. Well, it's been great being your friend, and I hope you uh, all the best, and take care of your health during this grueling campaign, and uh, I'll catch an everywhere hike when I'm in L.A. I'll see
0: you soon. Hey,
1: everybody. It's Dr. Hyman. Thanks for tuning into The Doctor's Pharmacy. I hope you're loving this podcast. It's one of my favorite things to do and introducing you all the experts that I know and I love and that I've learned so much from. And I want to tell you about something else I'm doing, which is called Mark's Picks. It's my weekly newsletter. And in it, I share my favorite stuff from foods to supplements to gadgets to tools to enhance your health. It's all the cool stuff that I use and that my team uses to optimize and enhance our health. And I'd love you to sign up for the weekly newsletter. I'll only send it to you once a week on Fridays. Nothing else, I promise. And all you have to do is go to drhyman.com forward slash PICS to sign up. That's drhyman.com forward slash PICS, P-I-C-K-S and sign up for the newsletter and I'll share with you my favorite stuff that I use to enhance my health and get healthier and better and live younger, longer. Hi,
0: everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey,
1: seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you can visit ifm.org and search their Find a Practitioner database. It's important that you have
0: someone in your corner who's trained, who's a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.